if you're forcing a 10 new pitcher to go throw two, three, four games a day or two games and three games, like just six to eight in a weekend is a lot. And I guarantee you at some point mechanically they're breaking down and now they're building bad habits. So it's, you know what? If you have six people that say they can throw, throw all six. Again, at 10U, it's not about winning the national. These kids are not putting in their college bio that they won the 10U Boo Bash Championship back in 2023. Hey, I'm Ashley Agle. Some of you might know me as Ashley Burkhart, and I'm a former D1 and professional softball player who spent a few years coaching in the college game before deciding to put all of my focus into youth softball players and helping them make their dreams and their goals happen for them. It's our job to help them unleash their potential and become the athletes they've always dreamt of. I come from a small city in the Midwest and didn't let that stop me from making my goal of playing D1 softball a reality. No matter where you live, you have the tools to help you thrive. And I am hoping through this podcast to help you get there. On this podcast, you'll learn from Olympians, Hall of Fame coaches, and elite players what their journeys have been like. And you'll also learn from me and my family a bit of our journey through the game. I'm so excited to have you here. So whip out your notebook and let's learn how we can grow in this game together. Welcome to When the Cleats Come Off. Hey, hey, and welcome back, or welcome to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. Last week, we had returning guest Kat Osterman on the show, and we had to split it into two parts just because of how jam-packed this conversation was. We covered all things retirement and baby life, along with learning about how Kat's dad was one of the most crucial parts to her overall success as a pitcher. And we even learned some of her intangible traits that he taught her from confidence, persistence, and especially that grit that helped take her to becoming a four-time All-American at Texas and eventually a three-time USA Olympian. Then we finished off chatting about her recent move to coaching travel ball, what she likes about it, what she absolutely does not, and how she thinks it can change for the better. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I highly recommend you check it out because it'll only help you get more out of this week's conversation. And this week is all about recruiting, giving you a head start on it all and really finding the right fit for you. Now, her and I are D1 athletes, her and I are Power 5 athletes, but we strongly know that's not for everyone. And it doesn't have to be for everyone. If you're looking for help on finding the right fit or the right level for you, want to learn how to stand out from your opponent, learn what it really, really takes to play at the next level, or what action is absolutely necessary if you want to play at the next level, stick around because Kat and I, who are both former and college coaches and players, are going deep into what you can expect on this wild and crazy ride. All right, enough from me. Let's dive into part two with Kat Osterman. I just love that you brought up the 2014 because if you went through every single play and also your first baseman's now learning the arms of her shortstop, her third baseman, like you guys are learning how to work together as a unit and like just keep rolling and keep working on different scenarios. Like you are prepared for anything that could happen, good, bad, ugly. But right now, I think a lot of teams, like you were saying, is like they're playing so much that they're learning these things by making a mistake in a game, which is like, I mean, we're all going to make mistakes in games. But like, if we can have already gone through that in a practice 
And then it happens in a game. You can be like, oh, it's a fluke. We know how to do this. Let's go. But if they're learning this for the first time in a game, now they're like, well, I hope we don't get the ball again because I'm not going to know what to do with it this time. Like you develop confidence through practice. Yeah. Instead of learning how to make the play and knowing that you just messed up that time, you learn because you messed up. And then you have this fear of messing up again, which is where we put in the fear, fear of failure. And I think I caught myself recently again with my RBI group on a Wednesday night. Um, we were practicing defense and all in the same play. My shortstop missed a cut and she said, oh, like the ball got in the light. And then at the same time, once we got the ball, the second baseman oh, made a bad throw. And she was like, oh, sorry, my face mask got in my way. And I finally called time and I was like, time out. Quit justifying your errors. I don't, I don't, I care that you make errors because I want us to learn from them, but I don't care in the, in, in this situation that I need to know why you made the error. I'm going to tell you what needs to be done for the error not to happen probably, but I'm not mad at you for making the error. So let's quit justifying it. Let's make it, make it, screwing up is a normal thing. We don't want it to be a reoccurring consistent thing, but it's a normal thing. Mm -hmm. And let's move on and let's say, Hey, you know what? My bad. I'll make a better throw next time. Um, or, hey, I'll position myself to where I'm not in the light next time and move on. And they were like, oh, okay. And you know what? We the, A week later, which was last night, we had a really phenomenal practice where we made great throws, cuts and relays look good. And I think when you give them the freedom to make errors, knowing that you are going to help them learn from them, but you are not judging them or going to punish them because of the error. Um, and I think that too goes back to parents and even coaches now, like kids aren't trying to make errors. So when we put punishment with the, um, when we link punishment with lack of execution or with screwing up, that's where you create fear of failure. Mm. Because I tell my kids all the time, I am never going to make you run because you made a bad throw, because you made an error, because you didn't hit a ball, you didn't put a bunt down. What I am going to make you run for is if you're talking while coaches are talking, if your effort looks bad and I've had to remind you all of practice that to jog or to do things harder, um, if you're not hustling, you know, things that we can control, that's what we get in trouble over. Mm -hmm. And I think we too often think that like, oh, an error is lack of focus. Well, not all the time, right. depending on you know, what's going on now, if they were talking to someone outside the field, as you were getting ready to hit a ground ball and then missed it. Yes. That's lack of focus. But if they were ready to go and they just flubbed the ball, that's not necessarily a lack of focus. Um, so I think I could go on and on about it, but I just think at a young age, we're, we're making them scared to make errors because they get yelled at or they have to run or they have to do push-ups. You know, I had a teammate in college that she played for like kind of the little sister team um, at our organization, travel ball wise. We were a year older, so they were at Cypher too and a year younger. And they practiced at the same time we did. And every time they made an error, a whistle blew and they had to do push ups. Oh, no. I know. And this was like a, when I was in 14, you know, like 12 and 14, you they're like whistles blowing and they're doing push ups for errors. And those girls are still probably traumatized to this day. They probably are. From that. Well, and you know, there were some of them that went on and played college softball. You know, Tina played with me at Texas, but a lot of them didn't go on. And I think part of it was because you're burnt out mm -hmm. and you just are tired of being punished and you think that's the way it's going to be everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. We could go on and on and on about this. But are there any 
Before we go on to the the last, but I feel like one topic we have to discuss recruiting, is there anything else that like you hope travel ball coaches who are just here to try to learn, you know, they're listening to you knowing that you've coached at every level, played at every mm-hmm. level. Um, is there anything else that you can advise for them? Yeah, there's two things. I think the first thing I would ever say is, and this goes for girls and boys. I know sometimes people try to act like it's different, but they don't care what you know until they know that you care. Mm. They want to know that you care about them as an athlete, as a person in their development before they care to know that you know how to swing a bat or throw or anything like that. Um, And, you know, I've, I learned that too. Like I know how to throw a ball. I know how to teach throwing a ball. But when I care about them and their development long-term first, I get more out of them. Um, And I say that, you know, Randy Rupp played for me at Texas State and her and I were extremely close, but I told her from the get-go, you know what, my goal is to make you as good as you can be and I'm going to help you grow as a person. And it was the second that she realized, and she told me, she was like, you know what, the second I realized you cared about more than just how I threw a pitch is when it was like the floodgates opened and I just could do whatever you asked me to do. Um, and so they do, they want to know you care, especially, and I hate to say, especially this generation, but it's just, I think as time's gone on, we're more about our feelings and making sure, you know, mental health is something that's extremely important now. And you have to care for those things to be something that you're prioritizing or you're checking in on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you and me growing up, it probably, probably would have helped if mental health were something that was talked about and addressed, but it was just different times. So, you know, we kind of just grinded through, but that would be the first thing I would advise. Make sure your kids know you care first and foremost. And then the second thing would be, don't be afraid to continue to learn podcasts, going to clinics. If you see another travel ball team, that's well run, like, Hey, can I come watch you guys practice? Mm. Hey, you know, would you mind coming and watching one of our practices if y'all are close and like helping me come up with other ideas. Yeah. No ego, Uh, amigo. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we're all here to hopefully see athletes and whether it's ours or another team's athletes succeed. And I think, you know, that's sometimes the, the best part of when I'm going out coaching is if I see another team's pitcher throw a good game or a hitter that was really hard to get out, like when we go through the line, I'll make sure they know that I recognize that. And they're not my kid. And I will have no part of their journey other than that one game probably, but it's being able to instill that like, okay, if Kat Osterman just told me like I was a really hard out, what do you think that's going to do for her confidence level? You know what I mean? And I think even as an opposing coach, even if you're not Kat Osterman, if you just say, Hey, you had a phenomenal day at the plate, you hit everything like that kid's going to go away and be super excited. Yes. Um, and you probably, again, boosted her confidence. Next game could be even better for her. You don't know. But we're supposed to pour into these athletes so that way they're equipped and they're ready to go tackle again, whatever the next step is for them. That's so well said. And it makes me think of, you know, some college games where, you know, big wig like Mike Andrea pauses me in the line is like, you're a great player. I could have died that day and been <laughs> like totally happy. But I think it it does truly matter at any stage, you know, if you see it, stop. Why is ego ruling travel ball right now? Like be the change. We need it. The game needs it. So well said, Kat. 
Lastly, we're kind of in the thick of recruiting season and, you know, you work with players that are, you know, some wanting to play at the highest level, some just trying to figure out what they want. What are you seeing on your end um, that's kind of maybe like a red flag that people should be either aware of or, you know, just steps to help them along this this crazy ride? Yeah, I think the big thing in the recruiting journey is one, everybody's journey is different. Even if two athletes go to the same place, they're probably not going to end up there with the same path. Um, so don't don't compare what happens to you to somebody else. You know, some kids will get 20 calls on September 1st. Some will get none. The one who gets none still will probably end up finding a place to play at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be the same place as the person who got 20. You don't know. But the other thing is there are so many opportunities for girls to play softball, but the majority are so narrow focused on this D one or bust type mentality. And, you know, you can go to a D one that maybe is in a winning program, or you can go to a D two and I'm going to throw out North Georgia because Mike Davenport who coaches there was our coach for the pride for a couple of years. And he is a phenomenal coach and you could go there and be playing for national championships. Mm-hmm. Like w- at the end of the day, what is it that you want? And I think that's the big thing is like, what do you want as an athlete? Do you want just to be able to put a big name next to your school? Or do you want to be able to say, I'm going to this school because I love the city. They have what I want academically. I got along with the coach, but you know what? Um, It's the fact that, you know, I just really felt comfortable and I could see myself being there for four years and it's home. Or is it, hey, you know what? My whole family went to school XYZ. So I'm going to go to school XYZ. And even if I don't play, it's okay. What is it though that you want out of your journey? And then put yourself in the best opportunities to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think there's so many opportunities, D1, D2, D3, JUCO, NAIA, to where athletes could truly go and make an impact. But for whatever reason, they think it reflects poorly on them if they're not going D1. And it's like, that's not going to reflect poorly on you. Go, go break, go write the record book somewhere. I've seen coaches do the same like push their athletes yeah. to go for something bigger for their own. Like it's not your journey. It's not the coach's journey, you know? Right. Again, what's the, what's our mission? Cause if it's to equip them the best we can for the next level, they get to choose what the next level looks like for them. Right. Like you as a coach don't look any better or any worse because your kid chose to go to a D2 that maybe has the exact major they want as opposed to a mid-major D1. Or because maybe your kid decides to go play for a national championship caliber D2 team because they want to win as opposed to going to a team that's, you know, constantly bottom half of their conference and not going to the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Like it doesn't reflect on you why a kid chooses what they want to choose. And, um, you know, as an athlete, I think you have to figure out what is it that you want as far as academics, playing time, a winning program, a place that you can impact. Um, and then at the same time, is it somewhere that if you decided you didn't want to play or you got injured, are you going to be happy staying there? Mm-hmm. And for most of us, you know, there's a very small percentage that get to go pro. So it's not like you're saying, Hey, if I go here, I'm going to be able to play in the professional ranks like baseball or other sports. So is it somewhere that academically you're getting it paid for? Because I think that's the ultimate goal too, is to get some, some or all of school paid for in some way. So if you can get that paid for and get a degree, 
don't limit yourself on where you can go simply because of big, shiny objects and big names. Right. You know, I coached at a D2 school for three years and a lot of people are like, wait, you coached D2? And I was like, yeah. And it was great because you know what? I had a life. Mm. Like we didn't have lights, so we couldn't practice past like 5, 5.30. And we didn't play on Sundays because we were a um, faith-based in- institution. I had Sundays off. I was home by 5, 5.30. And I mean, I lived a mile and a half from campus. So I was home. Um, if I needed to go home during the school day, I could because there wasn't a lot else to do. And I'm not, I also don't have to be out there like recruiting every single weekend to keep up with the Joneses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our athletes had a life too. You know, we didn't practice on weekends most of the time. So they were able to go do whatever they wanted to do. We're D1, we're practicing on weekends to try to make sure we're keeping up with the Joneses. And, you know, we were allowed to give them weekends off. And same thing, they had every Sunday in season off. And again, we can't practice past 5.30. So sometimes we're not even hitting 20 hours in the week, depending on the lighting situation. And once they're all out of class. Right. So it's like, you know, there's different plus and minuses for every level. But just because it's not D1, I think people need to stop thinking it's it's less. It's not anything less. If there's anything less, they have less money to play with as far as scholarships and resources go sometimes. Um, But there are some truly amazing coaches and programs that you know, there are kids that go D1 that end up transferring to those yeah. and then they go win national championships and they're much happier than they ever were committing to a division one school. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's the big thing. Get yourself in front of as many eyes as you can and see what opportunities come and then make the most of those opportunities. But if you keep yourself limited to a D1 or bust um, type mentality, then you're just, you're taking away so many opportunities that could be presented to you. hundred percent. I I always say this. It's like, where can you see yourself thriving? Because I did not go to Purdue to play professional softball. I can tell you that right now. (laughs) Like we were in the middle, maybe lower half of the Big Ten at the time. I was told by my coach, like, hey, you'll have an immediate impact here. You can play from day. Well, I mean, I'd have to fight for the spot, but like you have the potential to play from day one and you can help change the culture in the program. And I'm like, I want that. And then I found the place where I could thrive. And every year I was getting better and better and better. And then ironically, professional softball was out there, you know, like they were calling my name, but I wasn't striving for that, you know, but if you go somewhere where you thrive, like you have no idea what could happen for you, you know, like the world is your oyster, but you got to go somewhere where you know you can thrive and where you want when you know, you got to know what's coming too. Yeah. I mean, and my situation was similar and I mean, you can change the names of the schools and it could be someone else's exact same journey. But, you know, I had opportunities to go to UCLA, to go to Arizona. And at the time, those were the two perennial contenders for the national championship almost every year. Mm-hmm. But when I looked at it, I I was going to be a freshman behind two, if not three pitchers at UCLA. And I was going to be a freshman behind uh, Becky Lemke and Jenny Finch at Arizona. Oh, and Jenny Gladding. So if, in my mind, even though they were like, no, no, you'll come in and have an opportunity to compete. I'm sitting here going, you guys have all American pitchers that are juniors and seniors. I'm not going to get to compete at the the level that I want to compete at. Mm-hmm. Where at Texas, I was going to have a sophomore ahead of me and another freshman in my class. And that was it. It was going to be the three of us. So I looked there and I'm like, but here I can compete. Like, And that's what I wanted. I wanted to be thrown into the fire. I didn't want to be nursed along like, let's go, like, let me, let me go have a 14 ERA after the first weekend and figure out how to work out of it. Mm -hmm. 
but again, it's, you know, it's, it's, what do you want? You know, there's times where people are like, Oh, do you wish you would have gone to one of those schools? No, because as much as a national championship is great, it doesn't, it, it wouldn't change my career. It wouldn't change, you know, what I've already done. In fact, I think going to Texas probably had me more ready for 2004 than if I had gone to a college that had a staff of three or four ahead of me. Yep. So I think it's just all about figuring out what, what is it you want and what school gives you that not how can I fit my desires around this school? Because it looks like on paper, it would be a great choice. Does it check your box? Like you should have your boxes and your school should check your boxes. It shouldn't be, I have these schools and here's the boxes they check. Okay, I'll accept that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. Did you know you can find this entire conversation with Kat and also just about every other past interview with former guests like winningest coach in D1 softball history, Coach Carol Hutchins, professional athlete Sam Fisher, Cubs hitting coach Rachel Folden, the University of Oklahoma's hitting coach JT Gasso, two times World Series champion Lauren Hager, and so many more on my YouTube channel. All you have to do is either click the link in the show notes or head to Ashley Burkhart Training, you'll see my logo, on YouTube, and there you'll find past episode recordings and even a few drills and mental skills videos that you may love. If your athlete would love a specific episode and would rather watch the conversation, then this route is for you. So head on over to Ashley Burkhart Training on YouTube and let's get watching. Now let's head back to the show. want to talk on the other perspective there's a lot of athletes that like think that they're ready for college but like physically there's they don't even know like how good they have to be to play from NAI to day to d1 like you have to be very good to play in college hands down but you know what would you say to the athlete who thinks that like oh yeah I, I could probably play you know in college versus like what do you really need to do to play in college right well, I think the biggest thing is you as an athlete talking about that. And I have a couple that, you know, I talk to all the time is like, you don't know how hard it is to play college softball till you're in it. Somebody can tell you all the time, like what the schedule's like and what you have to do, but until you're in it and experiencing it, you have no idea. And I think if you have a high work ethic, not a good work ethic, a high work ethic, college isn't as much as a, of a shell shock. If you have a good work ethic, you can you can get you can make it work. But if you have anything less than a good work ethic, average, eh, it, you are going to get so far behind because you're going to be exhausted simply from the amount of time that you put in to everything. Mm-hmm. And so I think the biggest thing is talking to them about like what are your habits and how how much do you prioritize what it takes to be a good athlete and a good student right now. Um, if you know, you're practicing hitting once, maybe twice a week, and then going to your tournament, like that's not going to fly in college. Nope. At you know, any if level. you're not pitching. Yeah. If you're not pitching with intent every day, that's not going to fly in college. You don't get to just throw two bullpens a week and think you're going to go play in a power five conference and be competing from day one. And so I think that's the biggest thing is one physically, are you putting enough in to where you're not going to, you're, where you're not going to 
be shell-shocked at how hard you work in college because it is in all levels. And granted, some have smaller windows of practice in the fall than others. And so you may talk to some athletes who, you know, D3, I think it is, can only practice for 14 days. So their practice in their fall semester is going to look different than a D2 or a D1. But during those 14 days, they're getting worked hard. Yeah, It's not easy. And so, you know, I think the biggest thing is, is what habits are you creating or do you have that are going to put you in a situation where when you get to college, you know how to execute versus, oh, I'm playing catch up or I'm just now starting to prioritize everything because I was able to get by with natural talent and still socialize and do this, that, and the other. Because mm-hmm. um, I think that's the big thing. Like I sacrificed so much socially and I was okay with it because I had a dream and I had a goal and that's what I wanted to do. And the friends I did have understood that. So they worked around it. You know, I was telling someone just the other day is I would go hang out with a bunch of groups, a group from high school. And my dad would say, Hey, you have softball in the morning. You need to be home by 9.30 or you need to be home at 10 o'clock. And occasionally, you know, maybe we were in a ping pong tournament at somebody's house or we were watching a movie and it was going to go over my career. You know, I was going to be 15, 20 minutes late from being home. And I would call and they'd say, okay, but nothing past that. But my friends also knew when my parents said like, hey, this time, like there was a reason. And so they would be like, hey, cat's got to go soon. Like, let's not start another game or let's not start this. Like, make sure I got home most of the time because I wasn't the one driving. But my friends understood. And it's like, are you surrounding yourself with people that understand and are driven for their goals, whether it's softball or not? Like it could be a volleyball player, a basketball player, it could be a piano player. It can be someone who wants to go be a vet and they're super into, you know, science. Like, but are you sur- surrounding yourself with people that are as driven as you and understand why maybe you would sacrifice things some days and are okay with that with you? Mm-hmm. So I think it's that. Ha- what habits do you have? And are you surrounding yourself with like-minded people? Yeah. And even if you don't have many of those people, I'm sure you have a podcast you could listen to that has some of those people around, <laughs> you know? Right. Completely agree with that. I think all of today, it was such just incredible like knowledge I loved your stories. I loved you talking about your dad. You know, just to wrap up recruiting, it's it's a journey. It's hard. But if you can't learn to like actually love this part, you know, I think I think recruiting should be a fun part. And yes, it's kind of stressful, right? But like try to make it fun too. Like, hey, you got a coach, you got yeah. a call from a coach, like celebrate that. You know, celebrate the little things. Right. You work so hard your entire life for that moment, mm-hmm. for the recruiting to start. And so, yes, like we don't like having to call and tell coaches, no, or I'm not going to come there. And that's hard because you're disappointing themselves, but you're not the first and you're not the last no that coach is getting and coaches get more no's and they get yeses most of the time. Mm -hmm. So it happens. They're used to it. But at the same time, it should be fun for you to figure out what checks your boxes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was the best thing. And if we're going to talk recruiting, the one last thing I would say is the best piece of advice my parents were given by someone else was it's her four years. Let her be selfish unless financially it's going to be a problem. So yes, mom and dad, you may want your your athlete close, but if your athlete is okay with going far away, let them go. Um, you know, like again, if it's if it's a matter of where they want to go is only offering 10% and you can't afford to cover the other 90, that's a completely different conversation. Otherwise, let your athlete figure out what her boxes are and what checks them. Look at her smiling right now. I love it so much. I can't agree more. Um, and also those athletes who like were expecting a call September 1st and haven't gotten the call from their school yet, there is still time. <laughs> like, 
There's so much time. And there's, there will be people looking for athletes to finish their rosters almost up to the day before school starts sometimes. Yes. Now, not necessarily a ton of them, not all of them, mm-hmm. but some of them. Um, but again, if you want to play at the next level, the farther, the far or the closer you get to the time to, you're supposed to go to school, you have to take, you have to make the most of opportunities that are given and can't be again, narrow focused or ruling out things, thinking the golden ticket or the once in the blue moon opportunity is going to come up and, you know, Florida or Alabama is going to call you at the 11th hour. Mm-hmm. Like that's usually, that's not the, the, the amount of athletes that go to D1, if you think about it, and let's say top 25 D1, because that's what everyone sees on TV most of the time. Yep. So you're talking about 25 schools that let's average sign four, maybe five kids a year. So we're talking 25 times five. And we have thousands of athletes graduating each year. There's other places that you have to be open-minded to. And some of those places may actually be a better fit than what you see on TV. Right. Right. And the amount of walk-on stories that are inspirational, it's like if you find the school and you know this is exactly where I want to go and because of all the XYZs, I can't tell you how many, we had a few at Purdue, but like walked on, didn't get money and then ended up, you know, leaving with, you know, a lot of money because they were, they wanted it, you know, they wanted it that bad. Now I'm not saying go do that with like the, the school where you're not going to play it all in four years, like go somewhere where you feel like you could truly, and you know this in your heart, like where you can, you know, find yourself thriving. And if you know that, like, I feel like there's still hope, you know, like there's nothing wrong with even being a walk-on for that school. That no, you know you there's can, not. If, you again, if the, if you're, if you and your family can make it work, there's nothing wrong with that. And, yeah. it, and I think that's the other thing, everyone between big names and how much, how much money I'm getting or what my percentage of scholarship is. You know what? There are times that a school really might be strapped because of the 18 kids that are already on that roster and what she's promised them. Mm-hmm. So while yes, sometimes your scholarship reflects how much they want you. Sometimes, and again, later the later you get in the process, money has been spent or it's been given out, or maybe a senior who was on 50% had a breakout year and earned a full ride for her, or a junior earned a r- full ride for her senior year. Mm-hmm. So now that's money that she poured into a kid who earned it. And so that's less for you to take, but you know what, if you can make it work, it doesn't matter. If they're spending money on you, they see that you can contribute. True. Because I will tell you, it's not like they don't go spend money on someone that they they don't think can help their program somehow. I just think we get caught up in, in being able to brag about big names, shiny objects, and amounts of money. And it's so funny because I don't even know that I knew what percentage my scholarship my best friend got to Texas. I just knew she verbal before I did. And then I verbal and we both went to school. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what she got. We didn't talk about it. We just knew we both got scholarship offers to Texas and we were going to sign on the same day. Like party, that was it. That's cool. That's so cool. Um, It's not a brag. Yeah. It's just, it's your dream. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wrapping up here, we had one person on a social media network that I have. Network is the only word I could think of that wanted to ask this question. I feel like you would probably get fired up with it. But, you know, there are some... Mm -hmm. 10 to 14 new pitchers that are pitching eight to 15 games a weekend. Like it's the, it's a thing. If you're a good pitcher, how many, how many games, like let's say what's an average weekend for a travel ball, like six games, eight games. Yeah. Six to eight, probably. How many should a pitcher be throwing? And I know it might change based on the age group, but what's like a safe place. Yeah. That's not going to injure these pitchers. 
You know, I think really the the older you get, obviously the it it increases a little bit more, not a ton, but a little bit more. I honestly don't think pitchers should be throwing more than like a game, a game and a half a day from 14 you under. Mm. Now, when you get to 16 you and up, like maybe two games in a day, depending on what your schedule looks like. But even then, I'd be hard pressed to go two days and two games in a day back to back with the same pitcher. At the younger levels, it is so crucial that you keep an eye on their mechanics because if you're forcing a 10 you pitcher to go throw two, three, four games a day or two games and three games, like just six to eight in a weekend is a lot. And I guarantee you at some point mechanically they're breaking down and now they're building bad habits. Yeah. So it's, you know what? If you have six people that say they can throw, throw all six. Again, at 10U, it's not about winning the net. These kids are not putting in their college bio that they won the 10U Boo Bash Championship back in 2023. <laughs> Drop the mic. They're not. And nobody's looking at you saying, oh, I want to go play 10U because they won the Boo Bash. Like, no, they're going to look at you if your kids are playing and developing. Yes, winning is a byproduct of that. But if they see you're developing in the way you're coaching kids, that's going to draw more people than it is just being able to say, hey, I won and I rode this poor 10-year-old until she basically probably fell asleep the second she got in the car because she was so exhausted. Mm-hmm. And now don't get me wrong, I, I was the only pitcher for a lot of my travel ball career, um, whether it was other pitchers getting injured or leaving our team, but it doesn't mean that it was right. I agree. You know, um, I think there, there's only one time I can think of that I threw more than 10 games and I can't even say it was a weekend because it's a Colorado tournament. So it's spaced out right. over three, four or five days. Now, granted on Sunday, I probably threw three or four games in a row because we got in the loser's bracket and then just had to play back to back to back to back. But I also remember being in the semifinal game and our coach was like, Hey, get three outs. We'll come back and score two runs and go to the championship. And I, first of all, was missing people's hands, high-fiving because I was so exhausted. And I think I stopped and turned around and, and, and said, I'll get three outs, but it's okay if we don't score two runs. <laughs> <laughs> like I was done. Yes. And there's a picture like somewhere, somewhere in a photo or a photo album, there's a picture of me like slumped against this wall, looking like almost like a homeless child. I'm so exhausted from pitching however many games it was that day. Wow. Yeah. I'll probably ask uh, you for that one. I, I believe it though. Yeah. I believe it. And yeah. But I think there's just a misconsumption that because, because we pitch in a more natural motion with our shoulder that we should throw all the time. It doesn't mean we should throw all the time. Can we throw more than baseball? Yes. But does pitching still tax our body? Yes. Mm -hmm. So there is a threshold for each pitcher and softball is still, I guess, fairly new enough that we don't have as much data like baseball to where you keep people on pitch counts. But as a coach, you can be responsible enough to know that even if it's your ace pitcher, like there are going to be times that you have to you have to trust your team that you're going to score more runs, even if it's an eight to seven game, throwing your number two, three, or four, because your ace shouldn't be throwing 50 innings in a weekend when they're 10, 11, 12. Agreed. Agreed. And I think that's the first time this podcast has heard that. So I appreciate you answering that question. Last time we did a five to thrive. I just want to end with one question for you. Okay. What is something that you're most proud of right now? This little one in my lap. <laughs> Um, I really think, I mean, I'm 
as much as I was very proud of my softball career, I think being able to have a child endure motherhood um, while still working and, you know, doing all the things because heaven forbid I pause the things, but being able to thrive at that um, is a different sense of pride. And I'm sure I know you feel the same thing being an elite athlete and now a mom too, like being able to watch this, this little life grow and help nurture it along. You know, it's, it's, it's the most proud thing I think I've done you know, it, it probably, it trumps my career. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there was a lot of times where I didn't know that when people said that they were like, Oh, it's going to be the best thing you've ever done. I was like, what do you mean? Really? <laughs> yeah. Like, Really? Mm-hmm. I, I did some pretty cool things, but it really is just because you have so much impact on, on your child's life, as, especially at this stage as they're learning everything, but being able to handle it and, and be a role model, even from the day they're born on how to be a strong, strong female, a strong mom and raise them knowing that they're going to see that and be part of it. It's, it's truly, it's a proud moment. And, you know, I think me and her dad, we did good. We, we made a a pretty baby and, you know, I just, every time I look at her, it's like a a new sense of disbelief kind of thing. So I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Yes. hundred percent. I think, it's pretty wild knowing that like we're totally going to screw up a few things, you know, like we're going to do things wrong. But it's it's kind of the it's the dream job that you didn't know was a dream job until you're in it. So, right. I totally agree with you. And I can't wait to get at one day we're getting our little ones together. There's there's no oh, question oh yeah, about sure. it. Um, but I just want to uh-huh. thank you for for your time. And JC, thanks for thanks for letting mom do this with us. We are so grateful. Um, and stay cute because she is, she is so flipping cute. My goodness. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate you having me. And as always, it's good to chat and share, share our knowledge of everything we're doing. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. I'm, I'm just lucky to have you in my corner because you're a little bit ahead of me with some milestones and things. So very, very grateful. Thanks, Kat. Yeah. But I think the best thing is having someone on a journey with you. And, you know, we talk about parents taking the journey with their kids, like motherhood. It's fun to have, I shouldn't even say fun. It's essential to have other moms that you can take the journey with. So Agreed. Um, I appreciate, I appreciate you as well, because sometimes those, those random texts or those random check-ins are, they mean more than I think we probably would consider if someone's like, Oh, I'm just going to randomly check on you. We'd be like, okay, why? And then the day you get it, you're like, Oh, I totally needed this today. Yes. So yes, it's a it's a mutual feeling. I appreciate you as well. Mm, thank you so much. It's still coming. I'll send you the reels. I'll send you all the, you're doing great mama because you are, you're doing incredible. Thank you so much again for, for coming back on. This was a blast. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. I told you this conversation just keeps getting better and better. I hope this helped you at least a little on what to expect during the recruiting process and really gain insight on what the next step is for you. Maybe it's honing in a little bit more on your physical or mental skills. Maybe it's sending more emails out or going to more camps. Everyone's recruiting journey looks different. And as long as you keep taking action, you're doing a great job. If you're dying to listen to more recruiting episodes like this one, especially when it comes to communicating to college coaches and a few more of those X's and O's along your recruiting journey, check out the show notes where I tagged a few of our previous episodes that I know you'll love and hopefully give you a little bit more ease and direction along this fun, wild, and crazy ride. 
Remember, it doesn't have to be super stressful. So the more you prepare, the more fun this process will be for you. And that's why you're here. All in all, remember, only about 8% of high school athletes play college ball and only 1% play at the D1 level. So keep separating yourself with your skills, your mental approach, and taking that scary action to get you in front of those college coaches. Listening to podcasts like this one give you a great head start. Now start taking some action on these tips. The more action you take, the more momentum you build. So let's get to work. Thanks for spending some time with me today on another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. If you're loving the show, help me grow it around the world by leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform, or even by sharing some of your favorite moments on social media. We've made it easy by putting some of our favorite moments on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. So go ahead and give those a share. Don't forget to keep this conversation going inside our When the Cleats Come Off community on Facebook, filled with some driven and like-minded parents and coaches like you who are looking to help their athletes become the very best versions of themselves. I've tagged the link to this group in the show notes. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. And don't forget to stay awkward, stay humble, and keep smiling. I'll see you later.